0: We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind
1: the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think...
2: And welcome to Behind. Oops, don't know why it does that, but there you go. <laughs> you're you're listening to Behind the Headlines on the South Radio Network. Uh...
0: Hi, everybody.
2: Hi, everybody. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, I'm Joe Quinn, and my host this week is Neil Bradley. Hey, everyone. So. This week we are talking a little bit maybe not for the whole duration but a little bit about uh, historical revisionism uh, specifically I suppose of the 20th 20th and 21st centuries but historical revisionism goes back a long way obviously because you know what is history but a narrative written by Well, usually by the victors or by, you know, people after the fact. It would be nice if history was always written at the time or immediately after specific events and uh, kept in a pristine form. But after the fact, there's much, a lot of historical revisionism that goes on um, that then becomes official history without Mm. necessarily telling you that it has been revised. Of course... Historical revisionism has two. Um, there's two flavors of it. One is official historical revisionism, which is allowed and fair. For example, in in biblical history, for example, or even in even in political history, etc. Um, it can be updated as new details come to light. So the idea of revising history uh, as new data is discovered, because of course you're talking about something that happened thousands of years ago. Uh, that kind of stuff is um, you have very little, for example, texts available. Uh, of, of stuff that went on a long time ago or or other evidence, but that, uh, that evidence may come to light with modern technology in terms of <clears throat> being able to decipher or read documents that are available or to unearth historical artifacts, etc., that uh, put a different slant on it. So, historical revisionism isn't such a bad thing necessarily, but it's still got a negative slant, which, and this is the kind of thing that we're talking about, which is where people in the modern day look back at the official history uh, of events in the past and that's not the way it happened it also is very close to kind of a conspiracy theorists
3: well yeah the the definition I got uh, there's a, a kind of like you're saying there's two meanings to historical revisionism one is an accepted study of orthodox views in history mm. new evidence comes to light and academics reconsider things and that's acceptable and then there's what they consider negationism mm kind of another word for the the dark side Mm -hmm. of historical revisionism, which is the illegitimate distortion of the historical record, specifically historical crimes. Yeah, Which is what we're... Like things didn't happen. Like, yeah. The way they say they happened. That's denying it that it happened or... um, It was just bad. Usually the outcome is that the believer or speaker or person promoting it is coming out with a history that runs totally contrary Mm -hmm. to to the gist of what the official record says. Right. Or changing the uh, culprits
2: in a historical crime, for example. Yeah. Uh, Official history says this person was to blame. They were the evil one. And a revisionist would come along and say, no, he was the good guy. And the official good guys are the bad guys. And that's not allowed. Um, So, I mean, the thing that comes to mind immediately... For me, anyway, about this is something that's been in the air. If by air I mean the internet, the rarefied internet air, um, of, of late, it's been, it's been around for, for quite a long time, I think, but it's, um, there's been a, <clears throat> in the past year, uh, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of uh, chatter on the, uh, on the internet about, um, uh, a a video that was produced a quite a long video, a six hour video. I think it's in segments but it's called the greatest story never told and it's not about Jesus no it's not about Jesus. I think that title was taken by um originally yeah it's a play on the the greatest story ever told, the greatest story never told and it's a it's a revisionist take effectively on Nazi Germany and what the Germans and the Nazis at the time. We're all about and the way that they're portrayed historically as uh, arch evildoers or the, the quintessential evildoers, uh, at least of the past, you know, few hundred years. Let's say, um, people, the, the people obviously who made this video <clears throat> are, are taking a different approach to that uh, and are trying to question the the portrayal. Of well, Hitler and the Nazis as the epitome of evil. And, uh, I mean, they, Hitler, the they word Hitler. more than
3: just question it. Yeah, well, they question it. Well, no, they question Questioning it. is is fine, but they very much, you come away uh, with the impression that there's an aura, a glow, a positive glow. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, the problem. Hitler comes out of it looking like gold. Yeah. The problem is that, uh, you know, Hitler,
2: Nazi or Hitler. For example, today, and just everybody knows this, but Hitler is doesn't necessarily refer to Adolf Hitler the person anymore when people use it. To, probably when it's used most often uh, on the internet and in discussions on the internet in particular, um, it's almost a curse word. To yeah, it's a swear word. Yeah, it's and it's a very particular swear word because it's, it's better than any just generalized swear word that uh, some some you know noun that you would throw at someone. Uh, it, 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 picks it carries so much more. You know, it's a very powerful swear word, because it not only says that you're extremely you're an extremely bad person, but it ties you into being a genocidal maniac and just completely deranged and being responsible for Yeah. You know and the supreme racist. And a racist, yeah. So you know, this this video, the the greatest story never told, attempts to uh Take a different approach, or show a different side to Hitler and the Nazis, and you know shows a lot of the history of it, etcetera, in terms of what was happening in Germany beforehand and what happened uh, during the Second World War. Uh, details that were, you know, uh, maybe not not commonly known, or uh, not part of an official narrative, but are not commonly known by the, by the average person who doesn't really take much of an interest in in this kind of thing, but just accepts the official story of. Nazis were evil. We stopped them. Good, you know. Um, I mean, the video itself, like you said, does cross the line to giving this uh, very positive, let's say, our uh, it goes to the extreme effectively, or tries to go to the extreme, I suppose, in giving a very positive view of, of even Hitler the man. I mean, one of the ways that uh, I noticed uh, when at certain points when they're showing uh, archive footage of Hitler or of Eva Brown or of Hitler's life uh, because they use, there's, there's a, a Hollywood movie or a big budget movie recently made about Hitler with um, an English actor. What do you call him? That guy, um, he was in uh, Trainspotting. Ewan <laughs> McGregor. <laughs> you know, no, guy. he's got <laughs> the brown hair. Anyway, there's a famous actor who pre- played Hitler in this movie. I can't remember the name of it. And, um, they use footage from that movie as well as archive footage. But when they show certain segments of Hitler and Eva Brown, et cetera, they have in the background the song Unchained Mel- Melody by the Righteous Brothers. Right. You know, <laughs> that gives you an idea of the way that they're trying to characterize him. You know, when they're talking about his relationship, for example, with Eva Brown, in the background is, you know, I'm not sing it for you, but, you know, the Unchained Melody. Uh, Oh, my love, my darling, I hunger for your touch. You know, and oh, gross. It, it, ser- it serves to, uh, you know, emphasize their point or try and imply that Hitler was this wonderful kind of guy. But <clears throat> I suppose my problem with this is that people who are promoting this idea, and it's not just in this movie, but in other uh, articles and um, other evidence that people bring, there seems to be a kind of a campaign. Or had for going on for quite a long time to uh, rehabilitate the Nazis to some extent and, and show a different side to the Second World war and the Nazis um, And my problem is with, with that is that it's kind of extremely naive on the part of uh, people who, who do this because they focus solely on uh, the details uh, in Nazi Germany, you know what Hitler did for the German people after the first world war, the Treaty of Versailles basically crippled Germany, and by the you know all through the twenties and into the nineteen thirties, uh, there was um, there was another plan called the Young Plan, in, in, in about nineteen thirty that was uh, imposed on Germany in terms of uh, demanding its war reparations for the First World War. then they
3: were basically IMF,
2: right? Yeah. And they, you know, there was mass massive unemployment. Uh, Germany, as a result, and society things weren't going too well in Germany. Um, and then Hitler came along, and everything was rosy again. Everybody had a job, and you know, industry was retooled. And, and then, but then it led to the Second World War, right? Yeah,
3: but everything wasn't rosy. No, materially, things were going well, but um, the cost. Before the war, before the war was even on the horizon, there was already a cost. Yeah, and to what was happening in Germany, and there were a few people at the time speaking about it, and they were like, you know, they noticed it, just this distinct change in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was a breath of fresh air for Germans because wow, leaders who are saying true things and doing actually doing things that match their words, mm-hmm. like turning the economy around or whatever. Yeah, but it became okay once you declared you were on the authority side, you were then above the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was okay to <clears throat> smash people's heads in mm-hmm. if they were in any way lefty mm-hmm. or if they in any way looked like they had a, a hook nose. And, um, you know, that's going on while these super autobahns are being built, mm-hmm. while Germany's miraculous economy is recovering. And yeah. Booming, pay oh, okay, those goods, but yeah, what cost?
2: Exactly, yeah. Well, it was in a kind of nat- national fervor of the German people, you know, in their in their ability to, to come back from ruin and how wonderful we are, how much. And you know, it was all whipped up by the Nazi Party, obviously, when they got into power, and uh, it instilled this sense of extreme pride and uh, kind of uh, you know nationalism within the Germans that was easily tipped over into. Racism and pogroms and mm. looking down on the other and I mean all all someone had to do was introduce the idea of a, of a superior race at that point the Germans being superior to and then to, to minorities and yeah minorities got it in the neck uh, literally yeah. uh, so of course there's there's these aspects to it but you know what I don't understand is uh, that certain people who take up this uh, this flag or this banner of you know revisionist history on the Nazis miss the broader picture they, they're maybe not just not capable of understanding or they just don't bother to look into the broader picture and see what uh, what was going on around in the in the previous uh, decades previous, uh, previous to Nazi, the rise of the Nazis and, and then even what's happened afterwards and look at it all, all in the broad picture and see that uh, the phenomenon of the Nazis was just one element of a much broader um a much broader plan, I suppose you could say, or a much broader um, um, scheme. Yeah. Even uh, so, to uh, to and to miss that fact then may, means that you miss the fact that the Nazis were uh, sure they were manipulated, and this is one of the things that's talked about in the video, and other people have said who are trying to revise the whole. Uh, a history of the Nazis and paint them in a, in a better light was that uh, the Hitler and the Nazi Party and everything was effectively uh, kind of like a controlled or phony opposition or controlled opposition essentially by people um, primarily in the, in the USA and in in the UK for example, but also in France. Um, so they, they miss they miss this important point that you know, by focusing only on Nazi Germany and trying to rehabilitate it and say this wasn't so bad and the bad guys were, you know, the Americans or the British and that they have since used, also talk about how the Jews have used, uh, you know, the Jewish Holocaust and this is all a big manipulation and it's wrong and to solve this entire problem, uh, you have to understand, first of all, that the Nazis weren't so bad and that they in fact were fighting for something good and they were fighting against this system that we have today that's completely wrong. The Nazis were just a phenomenon within a broader picture spanning, let's say a hundred years that, uh, that, that was just one more manipulation, one more element of a broader scheme. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, to, to go back to, I mean, to try and understand it in a broader scheme, you have to look at, you probably have to go back to the 18, uh, 1800s, you know, to the 19th century. Um, but when you, when you look at it in a, from a broad perspective, you see that the First World War and the Second World War were fundamentally about the United States and the kind of banking interests, the moneyed interests that had the, the money and the influence to, to control the world effectively, if that's what they set out to do. Uh, their goal was to neutralize Russia. And we are still living with this today. What we see today in terms of the Putin bashing and the Russia bashing in the West, has an, an unbroken line going back well over 100 years. And it hasn't stopped. You can see it all as one continuous line. So when you see that over a period of, of over 100 years, um, to then focus on Nazi Germany and what happened in Nazi Germany and say this was wrong and and, and the Jews uh, uh, you know, have used the Holocaust, etc., to blah, 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 is missing the broader picture, and that so you should not be talking about uh, revising Nazi Germany history and pitching Hitler etc in a better light because that's not going to solve anything. You're not going to understand anything. Um, I mean, in 1905, the, there was a Rush a Russian the Russo Japanese War, which the Russians lost, but they lost it because um, American banking interests financed that war effectively. Give one guy. Um, is, is named as the kind of uh, the prime financier, named, and his name was Jacob Schiff, and he gave two hundred million dollars to the Japanese to ensure that they would defeat the Russians. This was in nineteen oh five. It was only ten years, uh, or less than ten years later. Well, it was a bit more than ten years later that the the rule of the czars in Russia was replaced by the Bolsheviks. Uh, the, the the czarist uh, regime was destroyed literally. They you know they were executed. And the Bolsheviks took over. Now, there's a lot of evidence that the Bolsheviks, um, and there's, this is hard evidence, a lot of it's presented by a uh, um, Stanford professor, who's now dead, Anthony Sutton, Sutton. Yeah. And while people, some people, we had a guy on the show who didn't like him last year. Um, um, it was that guy, Brody, wasn't it?
3: No, it was Oliver Stone's... Ol- um, a lot of his friend. That's it, right. Yeah.
2: history. Right. He didn't. He didn't think he was true. But the fact is that, uh, or he, he, didn't think what he said was was really accurate. But the fact is that Sutton has documents from the State Department that prove what he says. Okay. One of them being that the Bolsheviks were given, um, one million dollars. This was from uh, a telegram of which there's a record from uh, one of the directors of Chase Bank, which is. I don't know what's called now. It was Chase Manhattan, and then it's whatever it is now. But Chase ba- Chase Bank back then in, in 1917 sent a telegram, or there a telegram showing that they wired uh, Chase Bank wired one million dollars to the Bolsheviks, and that document still exists. So the Bolsheviks were financed by bankers, and they were helped to uh, in, in their in their taking over of Russia by Wall Street. Um, now you think, why would a capitalist in Wall Street want to finance a, bu- finance a bunch of commies? They're very honest. In Russia, well, yeah. it makes sense because previous to that, um, the, the Tsarist regime wasn't communist. It was like, you you know a little bit about the way that the, the Tsarist regime, uh, they, well, the way they ran the country.
3: Yeah, the, there was a US president um, at the time, not FDR, the other Roosevelt in their, just at the turn of the century, who remarked that um, the problem with Russia is that it suffers from an excess of democracy, Right. which is a telling statement. It was actually one of the most, it was certainly at the time the most, probably the most just in terms of economic distribution and political freedoms, despite the caricature of it actually being very repressive, mm-hmm. which was a Bolshevik slash communist revision of that period to make it painted as bad possible. In fact, it was its opposite.
2: Yeah. Um, so you have, I mean, you think of revolutions today. Uh, Western finance revolutions today. The Bolshevik Revolution was a Western finance re- uh, revolution at the time to get rid of a, a, a government that the U.S. did not want uh, to see uh, being a dominant power in the world. Uh, look at the size of Russia. Russia is at least twice, two or three times the size of the U.S. It has massive resources. They knew this back then. This was after the post-industrial revolution. The, the, the Western bankers and banking elite in, in, the, um, in the U.S. and the U.K. <clears throat> did not want Russia. They didn't want another United States mm-hmm. as a competitor. And Russia was the obvious uh, country that was going to be a competitor to the U.S. So they, they more or less took it out and installed their phony revolution, which literally destroyed Russian industry. Throughout after the Bolshevik Revolution, 1917, right through the the rest uh, of the 20s, had yeah, a uh, civil war. Yeah, I mean, it it was eviscerated. The country industrially was eviscerated. You know, there was uh, uh, mass poverty and mass unemployment, etc. And it was actually retooled then. Their, their goal was to then retool Russian industry, which they did uh, in the 1930s, uh, or well, in the late 1920s and into the 30s. They continued on with um, uh, retooling Russian industry using Western companies, Western yeah. industrial companies, large companies like the Ford Motor Company, General Electric and a few others all uh, give their services and their expertise and actually built factories in Russia for the Russians, for the Bolsheviks. So by the 1930s Russia was back on its feet after this um, revolution uh, which allowed it to uh, you know, take part in the Second World War effectively.
3: I have a question with the narrative so far. Um, this is a also kind of untold history, yeah. which is surprising, because you think if that, that was the case, then we would know about this. But most people don't know that the British and Americans sent in tens of thousands of troops after the Bolshevik Revolution to fight against the Bolsheviks. Right,
2: right to make sure that that was part of... Um, I mean, of course, at the time there was a, a demonization of the Bolsheviks, which is bizarre. They, I mean, you have a, what, you, what you see yeah. from reading the history of this is that they're playing both sides against the middle. Basically, someone's playing both sides against the middle. Of course, sending in the the <coughs> the Mensheviks, the Whites, in the Civil War against the Bolsheviks in the um, what was that nineteen twenty or so? Um, that was there to kind of, I mean, they, you create your revolution, but you want to control your revolution afterwards to make sure it goes in a certain direction. You know, um, and of course there were maybe other interests that weren't involved. I mean, it's not that to say that these Western, you know, like um, banking interests in the US and Wall Street had complete control over it, but they were doing most of it. But of course, yeah. uh, European governments had scope to go and try and yeah. keep them at bay, type thing. So there was a bit of a. It may have been a bit confused at that point, but uh, during the Russian Civil War, these the Western banking interests continued to send aid. Yeah, of course they said they were sending aid to the to the Whites who were fighting against the Bolsheviks because officially the Bolsheviks were bad, but most of that aid went to Lenin mm-hmm. and the <clears throat> and the Communist Party. You
3: know, actually, it's, it's I can see a similarity with today. Today, Germany, France, the UK, and the US, for example, sort of came together and did something in Ukraine, mm-hmm. but we see. Both at the time of the coup last year and in subsequent events, that they all aren't always on the same. No, They've exactly. got Two more or less different right. plans of attack. Right. Same, same thing. Then there would have been two different because the Germans were also instrumental in getting Lenin right. and money right. into Russia. But at the end of the day, it's the the moneylenders who the biggest moneylenders
2: uh, who win win the day. Basically, their their plan is the one that gets uh, put in place ultimately because without money, nobody can do anything. And money can be used to put pressure on, control of money can be used to put pressure on anybody no matter what side they are, they're on in a conflict. Um, so when you look at the, the Second World War, then, um, the reason for the Second World War was the result of the Second World War. Of the First? No, the Second.
3: The reason for the Second was the result of the Second?
2: Yeah, Jesus,
3: what does that mean? Um, well, what was the result of the Second World War? The result of the Second World War was that the United States occupied the western half of Europe, and the Soviet Union occupied the eastern half of Europe.
2: And then immediately, the Soviet Union became oh, the arch evil empire for the next uh, seventy years. Right. So, Russia. Hmm. And this, this people don't. lot um, you don't hear most people talk about this much. Russia basically won the Second World War for the Allies. Mm-hmm. But then, within a year, it was the it was the enemy, the arch enemy of the Allies. I mean, right at the at the end of 1945 and 1946, Russia was already being talked about as as the enemy. The you know well, the, the West guy, was immediately
3: tooling up for a Cold War. Yeah, the guy who oversaw the atom bomb project said, "This is for sending Russia a message." Right before they even dropped the first thing on Japan.
2: Right. So that's that's a strange kind of uh, contradiction about the Second World War. Most people don't, uh, not doesn't seem to be much of an explanation as to why that happened. Surely your, your ally in the Second World War defeating the evil Nazis should have uh, remained your ally and you should have cooperated with them and whatever. But clearly the point of the Second World War, and this was enforced, was to draw a line between Russia and the West and to keep Russia Um, economically and industrially retarded. Because remember what I said before was that when the Bolsheviks in 1917 went through their revolution, their funded revolution by Wall Street, uh, they eviscerated uh, Russian industry and Russian industry was rebuilt by Western companies so they effectively could um, control economic development and output of Russia because they had built the factories, they had given the expertise, and they effectively controlled them. Of course, the Russians could duplicate it and stuff, but at any moment, um, they, they were still being funded, of course, as well. There were still injections of ca- cash being being sent, uh, but as expertise developed, all of that expertise was uh, kind of drip fed to Russia to keep them controlled and keep them. And it was it was effectively a captive market, you know. I mean, if you want to create a market, if you want a market for Western goods and Western technology, what you do is you have to kind of wipe the slate clean and then create that demand, right? They need, yeah. they need us. And that's what was done to Russia. And this all goes back to the idea of stopping Russia, the, the fear of Russia being a threat to the United States. You know, I mean, all of these, you know, Europeans went to America a couple hundred years ago and set up the United States, but it's way there across the ocean and how? But their main source of uh, of loot and plunder and resources and human uh, resources as well is because of uh, of of the resources and and number of people in Eurasia is Eurasia, and they've kind of debarked over to five thousand miles or five thousand miles across the Atlantic, you know. So as soon as that happened, they had to continue to. Uh, Manage the situation in Europe and in Russia and control it. You know, I mean, this is, I don't know where these people get this idea from, but a long time ago, someone came up with the idea of we want to control the world through primarily through money, through the issue, issuing of money and the control of the economies of the world. So that is that entire period from 1900 up until today basically has been a process of these banking elites controlling through war and revolutions, uh, financing and funding wars and revolutions, uh, to control the Eurasian landmass, and primarily, since Russia is by far the biggest country uh, in the world, to control the development of Russia, so it could not pose a threat to them and their interest to control the world. I mean, they even... uh, This comes from Sutton as well. Uh, There's a, a, a document... Showing that uh, there was a slush fund for Heinrich Himmler during throughout the Second World War that was paid into by U.S. corporations uh, and, and from large U.S. U.S. and British banks. This is during the Second World War. American corporations and banks were paying money to Heinrich Himmler as his personal slush fund to do with as he, as he wanted. But they are also paying money to the German government previous to the Second World War and during the Second World War. And there's also, uh, it's pretty well known, there were a lot of econo- uh, industrial ties between, there were, there were subsidiaries, German subsidiaries of US corporations that throughout the war, this is linked to the bank, uh, the Bush family as well, uh, Bush's grandfather, Prescott Bush, was involved in this with IG Farben and other companies that were uh, operating in Germany throughout the Second World War. So You know, you you have them destroyed. You have the German uh, economy destroyed by the West, particularly the U.S. because the U.S. was the financier of the First World War. It didn't really take part in the First World War, but it financed the First World War in terms of give loans and money because it cost a lot of money. The the British and the French could not have run or fought the First World War without massive loans from the U.S. and Germany as well. And and those loans then were leveraged for long afterwards over those European countries because their economy was destroyed because of the, of the war but the money to fight the war had been given by the US <coughs> US government and then they were progressively calling in those, those loans but they because Germany was the, <coughs> Germany lost the First World War they put extremely um, extremely uh, uh, punitive, punitive uh, yeah. um, lo- uh, loan repayment conditions on Germany that led to uh, in the 1930s including there was a plan called the Young Plan which was a guy and he was, uh, his, what was his first name, I can't remember his first name but it was um, it was called the Young Plan, it was developed uh, as, it was basically a stipulation of how Germany was going to pay its rep- reparations and that actually precipitated and it was more pressure being put on Germany cause after, after the Treaty of Versailles, Germany was like, you know, we can't really pay this, it's ridiculous you know, so they kind of were not paying it, but then there were more punitive measures like sanctions, effectively, in 1930 put on Germany that precipitated uh, the kind of Weimar Republic crisis in Germany that was just a complete uh, disaster, economic disaster in Germany that facilitated the rise of the, Na- that, of the Nazis. Of someone, this guy, Hitler, who was a spell guy, who was just obviously a bit deranged. I mean, he wasn't, uh, obviously, he wasn't mad. He wasn't <clears throat> stark raving mad or anything. He was, But he was extremely... Um, he was a spellbinder, as, as uh, Lobachevsky describes in, in yeah. probably a schizoid or some kind of a character disordered person who could but had this ability to captivate an audience. He was a, a, a brilliant or, orator. And uh, he comes along and he, <clears throat> he's the one who's, who's got the, the skills to capture the imagination of the German people while they're
3: suffering. Mm. And he didn't have the skills now to, he has those skills to spellbind. Spellbind. But the actual practicalities of turning German economy around Mm. was largely instituted by Halmar Schacht, Mm -hmm. his banker. I say his banker, not really. Halmar Schacht goes back to Morgenthau, is that his name? Not Morgenthau, the head of the Central Bank of England. Mm -hmm. He worked with him in the 19-teens, early 20s. Uh, it was a German, but he was working in London with big banks, kind of, you know, what, what young people do today. They go to New York or mm-hmm. wherever and join a big bank. It's been their career. Mm-hmm. But then he's inserted into Germany and he's the one who – the reason, by the way, Germany had this miraculous recovery in the space of six years is because they basically stopped existing inside the the what we have today, the central banking system mm-hmm. where money is lent – and by private bankers to a government and repaid with interest, mm-hmm. they just stepped outside of that system temporarily, mm-hmm. and they had a public banking system where the government is the issuer of money at interest free and, mm-hmm. and that 's why that worked mm-hmm. and and that 's the answer everyone in the banking world knows well at least mm-hmm. the, the are fully aware that this is basically the solution that would just completely revolutionize the entire planet in terms of making it the world a nice, harmonious, more or less just place. Okay. But they they knew they could temporarily apply that to Germany and it would create mm-hmm. in no time this industrial war machine.
2: And it would elevate Hitler to the position of yeah. a god in Germany Absolutely. and that people would go along with his expansionist uh, plans and his warmongering. So Hitler was effectively a dupe of Western, the Western banking elite. That's the best thing you can say about Hitler. If you want to revise uh, the history of uh, Nazi Germany and the way Hitler is portrayed, then the best you can do is say that he was a complete dupe. You I mean he was more than likely some kind of a character distur- disturbed person mm. but over and above that he was a dupe. Personally he, he was character disturbed. Uh, <clears throat> politically and in a broader sch- scheme he was a, he was a pawn that was used because they allowed him to rise to power they funded him, they give lots of money to the Nazi party and to Individuals and to the German government, these are Western banking interests, to to so that Germany could rise and allowed them, as you just said, to get rid of the central banking for a period of time. Why? Because they knew was, they were going to destroy him and destroy Germany, which they did within a period of ten years. Germany was destroyed, uh, but not just that. Most of Europe, sixty five yeah. million people were dead, and most of Europe owed unfathomable, unfathomable amounts of money to the U.S. government and to uh, U.S. banks. You know, they had, and they had in the same, well, going back, back a bit further, uh, in the lead up to that, as, as we just mentioned in the Bolshevik Revolution, they had neutralized any effective opposition from from Russia. And, of course, Russia suffered horribly in the Second World War. You know, so the U.S. is the clear winner in all of this. And if you look at who controls the U.S. or who runs the U.S., obviously you have to go to the banking interests and the money, the money makers, uh, producers of money in the US and they are the ones who clearly come out massively on top as a result of the First and Second World War and have complete control over Western Europe and have neutralized Russia and driven uh, a line, almost a literal line, in Germany it was a real line, um, between Western Europe and, and Russia and destroyed the Russian economy and made it entirely dependent on Western US corporations. So, I mean, that's the broader picture of what's been going on. So, to focus on, you know, um, this topic of trying to, you know, quibble over details, um, like how many Jews were killed, like how many Jews were killed, or whether Hitler was in it and wasn't such a bad guy, is, is completely missing the point and missing the broader picture. Um, and, and it serves nobody, you know, it doesn't. Help anything, it doesn't yeah. help anybody to understand that but why people are focused on trying to do that is just beyond me, because oh. I don't know why, because I suspect that certain people have some kind of I don't know, maybe they're motivated by, you know, some genuine feeling of, of wanting to have the truth be told and of course, at any point in history, there's um, the, there, there's lies and there's yeah. revision that's needed to be done uh, because the truth is rarely told about our history but um, you know, to, to to try and focus on just uh, the lies or the the incorrect uh, aspects of of what happened leading up to uh, the Second World War, for example, and, and the Nazis and what they did, um, doesn't like I just said, doesn't serve any purpose really. It doesn't, and and I, I mean, maybe they just want to do that to to set the record straight. But I also get the impression that these people want to that they're in some way. I mean, in all of these movies and people who talk about it, there's a whiff of kind of uh, of racism themselves, you know. And there's a very much an anti in in terms of the way they portrayed uh, in this in this documentary that I'm talking about. For example, they portray um, the the Jews as being as causing Mm. well, they question the Holocaust, and they also uh, portray the Jews as being partly responsible for the German response to them. You know, Mm -hmm. so there's obviously a,
3: a. uh, there's a black and white thing going on I mean Hitler was telling people that our problem is the Jews mm. and you know it wasn't the sim. he, he was giving a, a sort of complex answer he wasn't really in his speeches he was just ranting but there was a narrative for the German intelligentsia well look uh, look at all these bankers they're all Jewish therefore it's Jewish bankers but we know it's more it's Far more nuanced than that. They're not all Jewish, and there are clearly Jews out there who are aware of this and who tell people about the truth about it. Mm-hmm. Anthony Sutton, for example, and part of the reason why our historian mm-hmm. guest last year, oh, I still can't remember his name, um, uh, might have been, he didn't express this in the show, but might have been, oh, can't mm-hmm. go there, mm-hmm. is because Sutton has been marked down as an anti Semite. Mm which is very unfair because he has a specific chapter in his book on the rise of, on the Wall Street connections with the Bolsheviks. He was getting a lot of fan mail saying, oh, this is great, great, finally someone's exposing the big powerful Jews. And he said, no, 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 look at the documents. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Look at the names of these Protestant Mm -hmm. American and British people Mm -hmm. who are about as Jewish as you and me. They're not Jewish. Mm -hmm. And he then added an extra chapter in his book to say, look, here's the names, some are Jews, yeah, some of them. So there's a far more nuanced reality. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: There are still some basic take-home things you can get from doing a a fair revision of history. Mm -hmm. But if you end up going into that black and white thing, you're back to where you started. Mm -hmm. And you're feeding the same thing that's leading to situations like today Mm -hmm. where Tony Blair... David Cameron can say all they want about how oh we're not after all the Muslims or anything. Not all Muslims are evil. It doesn't matter. What's coming? The message that's coming through is that people see a Muslim coming down the street and they go terrorist, terrorist. <clears throat> yeah. And, and and this 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 is feeding back. You know, there, there's probably more to it than that. I mean, that what part of what was led to this German uh, obsession with race? German obsession, it wasn't a German thing, it was Hitler and his people and the schizoidal types and the mm-hmm. intelligentsia in Germany um, was. It's part of what was going on in the background in this broader 100 year sweep mm-hmm. we're familiar with the term new age movement today kind of since the 60s you know, uh, free your mind all this pop psychology mm-hmm. stuff and we're entering a new age and blah blah blah, there was in the late 19th century exactly the same thing going on. Mm -hmm. There was a kind of a messianic slash millennial fervor Mm -hmm. about the place and people thought this is the end times and they were were getting involved with spiritism, they were getting involved with all kinds of ideas, theosophy, Um, they were basically, there was an explosion of sects and cults of various different kinds and Mm -hmm. I don't just mean that in the pejorative sense and a lot of the people who ended up being your leading Nazi thinkers were all molded in the mm-hmm. 19th century New Age movement, yep. and if you read the stuff that was going on, there's a lot of stuff that you can see how it will lead to mm. disastrous, horrific, racist experiments on mm-hmm. people because there's a strong racist element in mm-hmm. some beliefs. And the Germans, of course, thought that they were chosen people, we've mm-hmm. heard that before, mm-hmm. and that they were descended from some Nordic, Aryan, super-god type, super mm-hmm. So. So if if
2: if Nazi Germany was to repeat itself again in the same way that you're describing, you'd have a bunch of like um, modern day New Age uh, Newagers uh, leading <laughs> leading a country and you know uh, you know doing what the Nazis did. Basically, that's I mean, they would have a different name. Maybe they'd have like
3: just you know, I don't the think Aquarians they, or something. And I don't think they'd be the one to lead it, but they but would be informed would, by that of maybe of no volition on their own part, they would be part of building the narrative, Mm. rewriting history. Mm -hmm. In Germany's case, to rewrite it, to create this fantasy, medieval, perfect Germany Mm -hmm. that existed and we must recreate. That Mm -hmm. was Hitler's thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And they hark back to Bismarck, who was actually, uh, you know, the whole thousand-year
2: Reich was harking back to the era of Bismarck back in the 18th. Uh, in, yeah. in the nineteenth century, when and Bismarck, by all accounts, seemed to have been a, a getting close to one of the kind of leader you would have to have if you have to have a leader of a country, he's the kind of leader that you would want, you know. Um, and, and they hark back to that and his ideas of of, yeah. of of Germany, not just for Germany but for the world and countries around. You know, um, he seems to be have have had a similar attitude as kind of maybe almost as Putin does have has today. You know, in terms of uh, seeing. Uh, you know, just being a normal person. You can imagine if it's ever possible to have a relatively normal person in a position of power. You know, as as the leader of a country. You know, who just is motivated by you know fairly decent and noble ideals. You know, but is also smart and able to put things in practice and you know uh, try and change not only uh, their own country but by by uh, by contact with other countries change. Uh, as, uh, the lives of many people as possible for the better. And, uh, but Hitler was the wrong person to try and do that because Hitler was, uh, pretty obviously, a a kind of a, a character disturbed person. I mean, he, you just have to listen to some of his speeches and the kind of things that he says. That's not the way, uh, a genuinely decent, honorable, good, leader of a country talks you know in in terms of the things that he's that he said looking at, i mean he, just his speeches on on, uh, on Jews and minorities i mean that immediately disqualifies disqualifies him from the not a bad guy category you know so anybody who tries to do that is it's just ridiculous they're flying in the face of i mean they're clouding the issue they're letting the issues of the lies that were told are... are the official history is that doesn't take into consideration all the other details that we've been describing. They allow that to transfer over into well, maybe, you know, Hitler was the victim here and Hitler should be exalted and, you know, and held up as a, as a hero of the resistance type thing, which is complete utter nonsense. You know, like you said, it's black and white thinking. They can't, uh, these people who, who are attracted by these kind of videos and this kind of revising of, of the Nazi era, it seems that they can't, uh, in more nuanced terms in a more mm. complex uh, scenario, see the, the the more complex scenario and realize that it's not it can't be black and white. It's shades of grey uh, across yeah. the board. But within that, you have your uh, you know you have your black aspects, and I think Hitler was one of them. You know what I mean? And the Nazi Party was clearly one of them. Um, but like I said, there were pawns they were used. They were at a very short uh, lifespan, and they were utterly destroyed. Not only were they utterly destroyed, but their ideology was tarnished for, for for all time and has been used and is still used as a watchword for genocide and despotism, you know. And many people have a problem with that, but I don't, you know, because the Nazis were a bunch of nutjobs. And that might be a of but they were nut jobs because they, their leader and the people around them were were dupes. That's the best, like I said, that's the best you can say, about them. they were dupes They were used and, and, uh, destroyed by people, uh, kind of more powerful and more powerful than those we've just been describing. And, uh, so to try and pull anything out of that or try and get something out of that that suggests that Nazis were anything other than, like I said, just dupes is, is, is silly, you know. It's, um, Hitler was a nutbag. He was warmongering. You know, he was like he was. He had this idea of a, a Reich, but he had it in the sense of Germany, the Aryan race, and we're going to take over as much of the world as possible and establish a Reich. He was delusional. Mm. He wasn't a normal average of the ordinary people. Mm. He ha- he was consumed by his own visions. So effectively, he did, he belonged in a, in a mental asylum, really. You know, at that point where he's allowed to give vent to those. I mean, if he had stayed a normal person in ordinary life, maybe he would have got by and just lived, yeah. and, lived and died a normal life. But when you allow him well, to be consumed with ideas of power and actually let him see and exercise that, he someone who needs to be put in the yeah. middle asylum. The,
3: the, the German army, um, the Wehrmacht, which was not established by Hitler, I mean, it was the inheritor of the Imperial German army from First World War and before, uh, they tried to get rid of him before... War actually broke out. They saw it coming. They said, "This is insane. <laughs> we see where this is going." Yeah. Right? And the Russians also saw Stalin for all the, the crimes that were going on in Russia. Stalin saw what was coming as well. Um, but leave aside what he did to stop it. But within Germany, there were there was basically an attempted coup. There were attempted coups during the war as well, which failed attempted assassination attempts. But there were coup attempts before, and they were blocked because they couldn't get help from the West. Mm-hmm. They just turned... No, because they had a... <laughs> shut the door on them.
2: They had a plan for Europe. These people had a plan for Europe. And they looked at it and they said, how are we going you know, to... The, at the beginning of the 20th century, the Western bankers look at Eurasia and they say, we have a problem here. If we don't do anything, Russia—the way Russia is effectively the the most powerful and most uh, advanced country in Eurasia—and combined with the European countries, this is going to be a, a serious, serious competitor to the U.S. It's gonna it's gonna destroy any hopes we have of controlling the world through finance. So we need to do something about it. And I mean, they hit on the idea of well, wars, right? Wars, is a good think revolution slash wars. are they generally, very often one follows the other. So that's and they do it through financing and through picking the right people to put in the right place and giving enough money to them. I mean, not that they have it, but it's not that they have this grand master plan. But they they had a plan to we need to neutralize Russia and the threat from Russia and its integration of Eurasia. And this is back at the beginning of the 20th century, and they so they follow steps. To do that, you don't have to posit a long-term, uh, multi-generational plot or plan. You know um, that they see so far down the line, they know where it's going to go. No, they just follow the steps to achieve the goal that they want. And the goal, the goal they want to achieve, is power and control for themselves. And they see an enemy that is a, a block to that. So they do, they come up with plans on the, in the moment and put them in place to deal with that. And very often it means like, yeah, you destroy yeah. a country to rebuild it. You know, you get a war, a uh, country involved in, uh, <clears throat> in a war by financing that country to wage the war. You create an enemy and then a country will go to war against that enemy and you finance that country to go, uh, go to war against the enemy. And then you own that country because you've, it, it owes you massive amounts of money. Not only does it owe you all the money that you gave it to go to war, but that country now is destroyed and needs your help to rebuild. a very
3: effective way of, mm. Yeah, I Taking control of our country. I don't think it's so much that we can see the pattern of it because it, it's not written down anywhere how they will go step one, step two, step three. I think we can see the pattern. Their behaviors are limited. They they behave they behave in a mechanical way. It's always the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one among them will come up with this genius idea, but actually you see this it's exactly the same idea as predecessor had in the previous year mm-hmm. yeah. not exactly there'll be variation but um, the pattern speaks to the mechanical nature mm-hmm. of this global empire yeah not this superb awesome discipline of Superman. you know
2: we have a call from Paige from Atlanta hi Paige
0: hi i um, enjoying your show first time listener
2: excellent welcome
0: I am suggesting a book, uh, whether you read it or not is up to you. It's uh I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called um, How Do You Kill Eleven Million People by Andy mm-hmm. Andrews. And it's a really, really good read. It's not that long. You can probably read it in twenty minutes.
1: It's
3: a short book.
0: Yeah, it's it's um, uh, Yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. It's you know, I was just gonna
2: say what's uh, what's it about?
0: Um, it's basically, uh, does it matter whether the millions of ex- ordinary citizens have checked out and participating in the ideas that shape a future of a country? Um, it's about, you know, it's just about how you can make a lie, tell a lie, and just just keep repeating it and repeating it until people believed it. Hmm. And it's based on well, Hitler, and um, I beg your pardon.
2: Yeah, and that's what's been happening, I think. That's uh, that could be if there's if there's a collective gravestone for humanity, yeah, I think that's what we'll, we'll put on it. You know, we told them lies and they kept believing it.
0: And that's that's what this book is about.
2: Hmm. Yeah, we'll definitely check it out.
0: Well, here's it I'll just read it to you. I'm not a very good reader, but this is just a, a rundown. It says Andy Andrews believes in the question that good questions only come from asking the right questions through the powerful provocative question, how do you kill 11 million people? The number of people killed by the Nazi Germany regime between 1933 and 1947. He explores a number of other questions relevant to our lives today and it has some bullet points and basically it's just how you tell the same lie over and over again because until no matter how fabulous it is, people will begin to believe it and how you can end up losing your life that way or your country.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the problem, yeah. People believing lies, you know, people who can make you believe lies can make you commit atrocities, I think, at some point or something along those lines. And it's true,
1: you know.
0: It is true. It's absolutely true. And I, I see it today in the United States, you know, about global mm-hmm. warming. Now, it had to be like the biggest lie that, you know, you tell it over and over again long enough, people are going to start believing it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they, they start filling in the gaps as well. The light doesn't have to be superbly all-encompassing for every single aspect, but people will naturally take it and reshape it to fit everything.
0: That's right. And not to get off topic, I was actually expelled from college getting my second degree because I made one comment, just one comment. And my comment in in my – what I said was I said that global warming is an obnoxious topic. That's all I said.
2: And you got expelled? I called,
0: yes, I was expelled. No prior offenses. I was an A student, deans and presidents list, the whole nine yards. I happened to pee off a liberal, tree-hugging liberal. Yeah. And <laughs> I I, well, I'm serious. I'm, I can prove it all to you. I, I mean, I can send you everything you need to know. I'm telling you that that is exactly what happened. And what if was you that have reason? your fingers... Uh, Disruptive behavior. Um, I'll have to send all that to you, but mostly that was it. It's not like I brought a gun to school. It's not like I, you know, tried to separate the, the, you know, be the only white party to go to Mm. a prom off campus. It wasn't anything like that. This one guy. That's all he does is go to college and teaches, so that pays for his school. That is all he does period and he must know a lot of people to get me I had I was on another talk show um you know on the airwaves and uh it was Neil Bortz, actually and I had 3 million people listening to me and the phone lines just got jammed listening to this and I could prove every bit of it and they just couldn't believe it and that I made such a wow. stir that there's they still won't take me back you know I I was expelled I got I I can even send you the letter I got from the dean and when I sent back when I wrote my appeal
3: really
2: we might read an yeah. article on that. Yeah, you should send it to us.
0: Uh, I mostly, go ahead. Did, did you?
2: Did you? Uh, what? What degree were you trying to get?
0: Uh, I was trying to get. Oddly enough, I was trying to finish up. I only had like five more credits to get for my forensic psychology degree. Wow! Psychology. That's like
2: a overwhelming police are
3: everywhere. Yeah. That's amazing. That you, is. You, should, you can send it to uh, SOTT at SOTT. Oh.
0: Okay, one moment. I am so sorry. If you want to check on that link, I, I mean on that book I was telling you about, I'm going to graze over it and see if you'd be interested in it while I get my pen. I wasn't yeah. expecting an email or even this being brought up. But, yeah, uh, this guy absolutely believed global warming. Um, I, we were, I had to take an elective, and I decided to take it in you know, just, I forgot what it was, science or something like that, and you have to be a global warming extremist. Carbon mm. footprints, the whole nine yards. It was, okay, you said, what is it again?
2: It's S-O-T-T.
0: S-O-T-T?
2: Yeah, at S-O-T-T dot net. S-O-T-T
0: dot net. All right, let me. Yeah. S. O T T at S-O-T-T dot N-E-T.
2: Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah, it would be interesting to, to hear that because uh, to, to read about that because that sounds, that sounds really extreme, you know. But I wouldn't, I'm not surprised, to be honest, because it's just gone off the rails, you know, that whole global warming business. And I know there are a bunch of, um, you know, extremist kind of liberal types, you know, that would just... You know that they, they, they take it as a personal insult if you question global warming because they're so invested in saving the planet and the animals and the trees and all that kind of stuff they, like they accuse just, you of
3: being a denialist and a revisionist yeah, you're a killer
2: you know you're that word are killing the planet and how dare you this is my planet, and I will stop you if I have to jeez, they're extremists, you know
0: they are they they are extremists I mean this guy, and I will call him he is a terrorist. Because he calls terror in my world. He calls panic in my world. And mm-hmm. when you instill panic or terrorism in someone, that makes you a terrorist.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. All and different.
0: he actually said to me, he said, he wrote to me in an email. He said, I take my job very seriously. I don't, You don't think I take my education very seriously?
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: And I said, what about the, the freedom of speech? Hello? I made yeah. one sentence. That's all. And then they try. He tried to turn around and say that there was another offense. And I said, "Well, why don't you please enlighten me as to what that was and why wasn't I reprimanded?" Mm-hmm. Nothing. Crickets. The wow. sound of one hand clapping and the other one not. Hmm. So finish yes,
1: mm-hmm. Go
0: ahead.
2: You were able to finish it, yeah. Finish what? Your degree. You were able to get it eventually. No, no,
0: no. I became radioactive. Wow!
3: Well.
0: I was radioactive. Nobody and what they stalled everything for so long until my student loans ran out. My time for to reget get new student loans. Hmm. President oh, that's a president student every single month. Plus, I had a prior degree with them before all this happened. Hmm.
3: That's
2: yeah. like a horror story. And, uh, yeah. and you can't take legal recourse against uh, those people because it costs so much, right? I mean, you'd be out, you'd be paying it back for the rest of your life if you try to uh, take them to court,
3: right?
0: You know, it is really, I have so many other things that I can do right now. I can go back and be a detective, start up my cleaning service again, which I was excellent. I mean, there's nothing I can't do. It's just that I wanted that degree. But really, is it that important for me to waste all my resources, all my savings, for some quack that's going to end up sitting there drooling on himself because he has absolutely got it in his veins that he is going to be the leader of this global warming topic?
2: Yeah, yeah. You have his. You obviously you know his name, obviously. So you send us that that to us as well.
0: Oh, you can look him up. It's public. It's public. You know. Yeah. It's public. I mean, I'm not. I'm not ratting this guy out for something. You know, mm. this is, that mm. is untrue. His name is Clifford Blizzard with one Z. Clifford mm. Blizzard. He owns That's a, good a, name a
2: tree
0: Yeah, he owns like a tree farm or a tree hugging place or a bearded <laughs> clam sale. Sa- you know. Yeah. Sanctuary in Palmetto, mm. Georgia.
2: A tree hugging sanctuary where hipsters can go and hug trees. Yeah. <laughs>
0: but they can lick them. I don't care. I just, you yeah. know, that was totally uncalled for, completely, he just, I really lit the fuse on this tampon, and I didn't even mean to.
2: Did, did you, did you uh, write anything about this? Did you, I mean, did you, did you have a blog or something where you could at least write about it? And...
0: No, I no? didn't. Okay. I, I sat and festered for about two years.
3: Mm. you got to put your
2: story together. Yeah. Yeah, send us the story, you know, on any documents you have, and we'll take a look. Absolutely,
0: not a problem. But I really do wish you guys would check out that book and let me know what you think. And um, just let me know if you get my email. I mean, that was absolutely insane. And I can't believe all I got was that I take my job very seriously or my views or something like that. I can't remember. It's been two years. Hmm. And I was like, are you kidding me?
3: Yeah crazy. All right, Paige, we'll let you go.
0: Okay, I didn't mean to steal
2: the show. I'm sorry. No problem. No, you're, that's fine. Thanks Thanks
3: for your call. Nice talking to you. Okay.
0: Okay, okay. I'll Bye-bye. get you the email hey. soon as possible. Bye-bye.
3: All right, thanks. Bye. How to kill 11 million people. That's funny. 11 million, the figure I have in my head for 11 million is the number of people who've been killed by the British government directly or indirectly between 1945 and 1995 just through arms sales and overthrowing regimes mm. 11 to 14 million it's actually a wide estimate yeah. there's 10 or 11 million people
2: that died as a result of the british induced famine in india in uh, just around the time of the of the first world war where they basically exported everything all of the most of the food that India, India produced you know for the war effort and for its empire uh, in the world and there was a famine there was a what was left for the Indians was um, some kind of a, you know, a disease or something whatever else they were eating and it led to the deaths of about 10 or 11 million people from starvation under British uh, stewardship of India mm. um, that was Church, Churchill played the, the great statesman another great statesman.
3: Uh, played a direct role in that too. Yeah, well th- this is history that isn't even, it doesn't even get a chance to be revised because it didn't get a chance to be told. Um, on the Wikipedia page on the revisionism, the examples it gives, um, no particular order, Japanese war crimes. Now that's about obviously what the Japanese Imperial Army was doing to people, largely in China. China. Um, and they were doing gross Experiments on people as well, like the Nazis. Uh, but the revisionism aspect is that Chinese nationalists, uh, Japanese nationalists, since then are like, well, it wasn't so bad. Mm-hmm. Similar to um, revisionism of German war crimes. And there's a similar thread on the the bombings, Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombing. But this just goes the other way. This is where Japanese say uh, complain that it's being downplayed. I can, I can. I think that they have a point because it's been downplayed in the official Japanese cleanse Mm -hmm. cleanish history. Um, They're now of course fully a part of the Western Empire so we don't want to talk too much about what happened there. You can Mm -hmm. understand why there were people wanting to say hello this was awful. Mm -hmm. Um, The next on the list is Serbian war crimes in the Yugoslav wars. Well Serbia was made out to be Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. and it was a—that's that, a fair point. That in fact it was at least parity among atrocities committed by Croatian Muslim extremists and Serbs. And the Serbs, in addition, were paramilitary units mm-hmm. of questionable background. Mm-hmm. They were not official Serbian army, people. clearly. Uh, the, the KLA is the, well, that's something else. That's that's the jihadists that were mm-hmm. sent in um, by the British and American military intelligence, who later then popped up after nine eleven. That's a whole other story. Um, the next on the list is Turkey and the Armenian Genocide. That's actually kind of been resolved since. I think the Turkish government has has issued a formal apology for mm-hmm. the million deaths of Armenians. The next on the list is Soviet history. That's murky. Because obviously there were atrocities committed throughout from the beginning of the Bolshevik Revolution. The thing is, communist Russia stayed in 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 name; it stayed the same all the way to 1991. Mm -hmm. But communist Russia, communist the USSR, in the in the later half was a different regime. Um, So there is some scope for revision there, valid revisionism. Uh, North Korea and the Korean War, this is funny because the revisionism that's associated with it is that um, what's being revised is the official narrative which is that it was started by the ancestors of today's North Korea Mm -hmm. which is horseshit because as Fletcher Proudy showed the US and the British armies were shipping weapons in 1945 to Korea anticipating splitting. Splitting and to Vietnam Vietnam, anticipating splitting both places, and creating uh, war theaters there. Well, that Twenty was, years ahead of time. So,
2: but that was part of. Uh, I mean, the Soviets were accused of, um, uh, just of Vietnam. The Soviets were accused of, you know, funding the North Vietnamese against the South and against against the Americans in the Vietnam War, um, and they were. But uh, Sutton again in his book. Uh, mentions this as well, that as part of the, the, like we mentioned, the Bolsheviks were funded in 1917 by Western banking interests that destroyed the, the Russian economy and then it was retooled using Western corporations to get a control over uh, Russian industry essentially and to drip feed them technology and uh, they had them on a leash essentially, but that lasted right up until uh, the Vietnam War when um, and this is an official document. He says, "Well, that the, the <clears throat> there was a massive plant in um, Russia that was sending uh, military vehicles to North Viet- to, to to Vietnam to fight and kill uh, U.S. soldiers, but that that plant was owned by the Ford Corporation in in the U.S. So a Soviet plant making military vehicles sent to Vietnam to fight Americans was owned by." By U.S. corporation, um, and that so, and there's also the Russian aspect, which is, appears kind of mind-boggling. But the Russian, uh, <clears> the <throat> Russian nuclear uh, capability, uh, according to Sutton, was only possible because of U.S. help in terms of sending them all of the different components, uh, aluminum tubes, and, and graphite, and little uh, machines that could make. Uh, kind of uh, casing for ball bearings and stuff, specifically for uh, he mentions the Merv, which was a, a jump forward in, in nuclear technology. Which a uh, Merv rocket is the one that um, uh, has warheads that split open and can be yeah uh, can target different areas. That was, I mean, previously nuclear weapons were just one bomb boom, like in, mm-hmm. in in Japan. But this development often meant that a warhead could have multiple warheads within it that could be independently target. Uh, several different places, you know, with like the head of the weapon opened and various warheads came out of it. Uh, and that technology was given by the US to the Russians, which kind of brings in the whole question of the whole Cold War and the, the mutually assured destruction and, and that whole standoff, you know, I mean, the Soviets were the enemy because they, and, and are today still the Russians are, because they have, are, are nuclear capable but that appears to have been by design. I mean, I've always thought that the whole nuclear threat was a joke, was always a joke, and it was never there was never going to be nuclear war on this planet. It was a means to an end, to scare the population and get them, to push them in a certain direction when you would hype up that threat. And both sides knew that, because none of them were so stupid yeah. that they were going to uh, initiate that. Or it may have been for quite a long period of time that the Russians, the Soviets weren't able to really, yet. the US was dominant in the Russian, in the nuclear arms race, essentially, even though they might have said, you know, we're losing or we're falling behind. That was all bullshit. It's all just rhetoric to try and scare the population to get them to side with policies uh, that further the kind of banking and, and the corporate interest in the West to control Control Russia and to to control the Eurasian landmass. You know, I mean, one of the people who actually Sutton actually says that in 1972, and giving that technology, that multiple warhead technology to the Russians, he and many other people protested about it and said that because it was public knowledge, it was leaked out that this was being sent by the uh, the Department of Defense was was actually through one of its companies was sending uh, this technology to to the Soviets, and a lot of people protested about it, but that protest was those protests were quashed by the incoming Nixon administration and primarily by Henry Kissinger. The arch, you know, Russia's the enemy uh, spokesman, you know, the, the, the guy who all along has, uh, um, well, along with Brzezinski, but, you know, Kissinger's been a big, um, uh, you know, combating the, the Soviet threat uh, around the world type of thing for his whole career. Yeah. That he was instrumental in giving the Russians technology, increasing the Russians' nuclear capability. So, it, you know, that's the bigger picture. And um, it, getting back to the question of why, uh, you know, this, this phrase, um, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Uh, so why do we keep repeating it? Because we do keep repeating it. You know, we keep repeating. We keep having wars. We keep having psychopathic governments. Things, you know, on this planet, things just cycle around from kind of from bad to worse, pretty much, and and, and don't change. You know, a lot of humanity hasn't changed in in um, in in history that we know of really, as far back as we can go. Yeah. Um, and the reason is because there's an elite that have their own agenda, so it's not about history repeating. History just doesn't change. Is the problem because? of the nature of the people in in power on this planet and the type of people who have been in power uh, for a long time. I mean, we can't necessarily say that they've always been psychopaths, let's say, but certainly uh, once people get consumed by this idea of power or see the possibility of controlling the entire world, well, then it distorts their... You know, it, it doesn't exactly make for a person who is going to feel empathy or a connection with the average man or woman on the ground, right? They're going to see themselves as the controllers of the world and we need to take these actions for, insert narrative A type of thing, you know, for the good of the planet as a whole and you have to break some eggs to make an omelette, blah, 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 you know? So the problem is the hierarchy on the planet, you know? Um mm-hmm. And, and that's why uh, that's why histo- history gets distorted, and so it's it's not even right to say that history repeats itself. You know, uh, it's a permanent condition. It's a permanent condition, and um, and to make matters worse, we don't get access to the actual information um, that would allow people to. I don't know if it would allow them to change anything. Or if it would change anything if, anything, if people began to understand what really goes on. But then there's an impediment to that within human nature in the sense that people yeah. don't want to believe that such a thing could, could happen, that there would be
3: such people I know. on the planet who would do this. You know, It's a whole other show, but the, a contemporary example of <clears throat> gifting nuclear technology to Soviet Russia is actually creating... Have terrorist groups in London, I mean, London, England, mm. giving them bank accounts, mm-hmm. giving them phones, um, giving them offices. Mm-hmm. It still goes on. People don't really understand that when, when they read the news and jihadist group XYZ pops up, previously unheard of, they don't realize it's another shell company for mm-hmm. Terror Inc., which is based in London, mm-hmm. which is the enemy of the leading light of we're a Western civilization and Islam, well, they say terrorism over there is our opposite number. Mm-hmm. How did that terror over there get started? How is it created? Well, it all comes back, not just to the city of London, literally, but substantially. It's, it's phenomenal, um, the number of various groups. Some of them began as revolutionary groups in Algeria mm-hmm. and elsewhere in the Middle East. Um, some were legitimate opposition groups to Saddam Hussein in the eighties, mm-hmm. or to um, the Shah in the seventies of Iran, mm-hmm. um, uh, some were religious, mm-hmm. and not not cases more like the Muslim Brotherhood, <clears throat> but they were all given. Um, they were all attracted. They were actually in, effectively incentivized to come, come here. We'll give you an office here. You can mm-hmm. just talk, work things out, whatever political difficulties you have back home. And out of that came the explosion of "quote-unquote" Islamic terrorism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, people shouldn't be
2: shouldn't be so surprised at the idea that certain interests, for example, in the U.S. or even in Europe, funded the Nazi Party, because the Nazis, until right up until 1938, late 1938. Uh, they were Hitler was being faded in various uh, magazines. One of them was Homes and Gardens in the UK, uh, and, and portrayed as this Time magazine, a uh, Bavarian gentleman in his mountain retreat with the little doggy and the little girl, and all how, how wonderful it was and what an art lover he was. This was just like less than a year before they were at war with with Germany. Uh, so, when you think of, for example, uh, the history of Iraq uh, and Saddam Hussein and how uh, Saddam was a good guy. Thirty years ago, uh, the U.S. supported him in uh, his in the war uh, against Iran, the Iran Iraq War, and gave Saddam chemical weapons. We're uh, selling chemical weapons to everybody. Basically, the, the whole point is that they, these people who do business, they'll do business with anybody. They don't care. the The ideology, black and white ideology, is for the little people to 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 so they can sleep well in their beds at night and not get too too scared or confused about it. Mm. But for them, it's just hardcore business and they'll play both sides against the middle. They'll fund both sides and they'll, you know, it's like, I don't know, somebody betting on two boxers or, or, you know, in a ring that are fighting each other. You know, you can bet on both of them basically, or you can put put a horseshoe in the gloves of one of them so he'll win. I mean, it's not strange, you know, but just you have to bring it out to a kind of macro scale and see if these people, that's the scale they work on because they have the, uh, capacity to work in that yeah. because they have the money they
3: to, to have, influence. They have, they have the this p- horse race. Yeah. You've got to sort of think hypothetically in the way that they do. They, they could, in the space of a year, because they have the power, they have the information, they have the money, in the media, they could influence the masses of people on this planet that say, pick a random ethnic group or national group, Brazilians need to be eliminated from Mm -hmm. the face of the planet. Mm -hmm. And we must all focus our war on Brazilians. Mm -hmm. And it would happen. It would be manifested in the space of a year. And we would all just not even, most people would not even blink because it would have appeared to be such a natural progression Mm -hmm. in in quote-unquote history.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, they set it in motion and and create facts on the ground that make it a reality quote unquote and, and people go with what they think to be a reality so um so, you know hitler hitler and the nazis were financed by the west that just makes them dupes they were destroyed you know yes there's a lot of lies uh, told about what went on that lie, for, or, that, or that piece of information is missing for example um from the official narrative but that doesn't make the nazi the nazis or hitler any better uh, than anyone else. You know, they were just a pawn like, like other countries have played that role of pawn. Uh, so I just find the whole concept of yeah. revisionism and the way that people are going about it to be just obtuse and silly, you know, and naive. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm talking about the, the State of Israel and the Balfour Declaration and, and the, the manipulation of, of, of the Zionist elite to, to get a homeland for Jews. That was facilitated by the West, uh, by by the UK, obviously Lord Balfour, uh, uh, a British politician, and um, and by the Zionist uh, organization in the US, and by the US government at the time, all supported it. Why? Because look where the Middle East is. I mean, it had long been known that that's where the oil was. They had already been squabbling, and part of the part of the uh, rationale or the motive for the First World War was over uh, access to Middle Eastern oil. So, uh, allowing or going along with the creation, or facilitating the creation of the, of, uh, of the state of Israel in the Middle East, right beside, right in the middle of the oil fields that the West so so uh, desperately needed to continue their dominance of the globe, is not is not strange. And that the, the Zionist League used it to use, you know, historical or biblical records. And biblical claims to that land as their homeland. Whatever works. The point was it was geo strategically expedient for uh, when it came when it was proposed for there to be a pro-Western government, i.e., an Israeli government or pro-Western country created, as they were creating as they had just created many countries in the in the Middle East after the First World War and the fall of the Ottoman Empire and they were just drawing borders all around the place. Well, let's draw one that says this is a Western country here in the middle uh, in, in the Middle East, right beside the oil that we need. You know, so to get into all sorts of like insidious conspiracies and blah blah. And it was all just politics. People, people, they're, ideal, they're they're far too idealistic. They don't understand human nature. You know, and that this is just how business is done. This is the way things happen in government. It's hidden from most people, sure. But when you get an insight into it, don't be surprised at it. And don't go trying to elevate one as, the, as, as, the, as the, um, the good guy and this guy is the bad guy. They're all corrupt and they're all just corrupt business people. You know, they're all just corrupt and greedy business people who are just, will do whatever. They'll sell their mother basically for a few bucks, you know. And that's the way it happens and, you know, deal with it. But if you want to deal with that and want to go into that area and try and look at what's going on, you have to see it from the, the broadest perspective. You know, you can't focus minutely on one thing, but you'll just get lost and you'll not serve any purpose. You'll just get fixated on one thing and you'll become a an extremist yourself, you know. You'll become a an ideologue, basically. I mean, it can happen easily, you know. So, uh, yeah.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> we didn't get to talk about weather. Weather, yet. weather, the weather, weather. weather. It's weather on South now, so yeah. people can see it themselves. Check out what happened
2: last month. It's yeah. crazy. Neil just published uh, last month's... Um, uh, weather, what's it called? Weather roundup. It's called a. Earth Changes Fireball Sut Summary. Sat summary. summary of the weather over the past month of February. So check that out. But before we leave you, uh, I'm pleased to announce that back by popular demand, we are going to have another um, pop culture roundup from our favorite Canadian up in the wilds of Canada Relic. So, enjoy.
3: See you next week.
1: Bye-bye. Well, hello there. It's Relic here, ensconced once again in my little log cabin on the frigid shores of Lake Canada. Two in the afternoon here, pitch black outside on a count of the days being shorter in the wintertime. But I'm all snug and cozy, sitting in my rocking chair with a hot cup of tea and a crackling fire to keep me company. So let's check out my Tumblr gram feed this week and see what's happening in the glamorous world of celebrity culture in Beverly Hills. I felt a great disturbance in the force. We have some breaking news this weekend. It's been reported that Hollywood actor uh, Harrison Ford uh, has suffered moderate injuries when the vintage single-engine airplane he was piloting crashed into a Santa Monica golf course. As to the causes of the crash, some are speculating that a, a practical joker put a rubber snake in the cockpit. And we all know how much Indiana Jones hates snakes on a plane. There's another rumor going around that it wasn't even him in the plane at all. And that Tyrell Corporation created a Harrison Ford Replicant as a publicity stunt to promote the much-anticipated Blade Runner Part 2. But whatever the case may be, we hear it behind the headlines or are relieved to hear that this talented and beloved actor is now doing well and expected to make a full recovery. The moral of this story being, Han should never fly solo. Elsewhere on the interweb, Huffington Post is reporting that superfan Adam Guerrera of Hollywood, California, spent years undergoing 18 cosmetic surgeries and $175,000 in his quest to look like the pop superstar Madonna. His sheer dedication to the Herculean task of transforming into a mediocre, talented, washed-up 80s pop idol is truly commendable. Kudos to you, sir. Recently... In his relentless desire to emulate the material girl in every respect, Mr. Guerrera now dances around in a long black cape and practices falling off stages wherever he can. Ah, oh, heck, that's nothing, really. I've spent years trying to look like my favorite Hollywood icon, Grizzly Adams, and hasn't cost me a dime. Speaking of plastic surgery gone wrong, Variety is reporting that many viewers of this year's Academy Award Ceremony took to social media to cry foul over the absence of vile, racist, mean-spirited comedian Joan Rivers from their televised memorial tribute. The very same woman who in the weeks before she died was quoted in the press as saying that Palestinians deserve to die because they have low IQs. Now, I don't mean to be all negative, but I have an inkling that some of that silicone in her face must have creeped into her brain and short-circuited the wiring in there. I heard tell that one time, Joan Rivers got bit by a rattlesnake, and the rattlesnake died... And you probably wouldn't be surprised to know that, upon her passing, Silicone Joan was issued a one-way ticket on the highway to hell. And when she got there, the devil himself stood up from his throne and said, Sorry, your highness, I was just keeping your seat warm. <laughs> True story. Well, perhaps it's best to not speak ill of the dead. Why don't we just say for the record that Miss Joan Rivers wasn't the most pleasant individual in the universe. And by individual, I don't mean human being, if you catch my drift. In one final piece of entertainment news, Canada's own bubblegum music princess, Carly Rae Jepsen, whose 2012 monster hit Call Me Maybe redefined our notion of the earworm. She has just released a new, and according to Slate Magazine, even catchier single. Apparently, this song is so catchy it's like Frank Herbert's Dune of Earworms. Let's have a listen. Now, in case you hadn't guessed, the name of the song is I Really Like You. But, if you listen closely to the lyrics, you'll notice that Carly Rae actually sings I Really, 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 Really Like You. There's like six reallys in there. Now I understand why she wrote it that way. Because if... She'd only put in four or even five really. I, I wouldn't have believed so much that she liked him. It was that sixth, really, that, that cinched it for me. It was the last really just really pushed the envelope right over the top and totally confirmed how much she really likes him. Oh, the travesty of what has become of the craft of songwriting these days. What this young lady has done with words is is an abomination to the English language. Heck, I bet if Ernest Hemingway were alive today to hear that song, he'd probably put a shotgun in his mouth and pull the trigger. Oh, wait a minute. That really, 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 really happened. Hmm. My guess is that Maybe old Papa Hemingway saw what was coming in the world of pop music and decided to take an early exit. Some folks have all the luck. Well, that's all for now, kids. Until next.